Coming up on Something is About to Happen. What are some of the benefits of a tree being properly rooted in its ground? One of the first things uh, that, that is a benefit accruing to you when you are properly grounded, rooted, you will have stability. You will stand secure. The wind may come and it may bend you. But after the wind is gone, your root is even stronger and you always recoil back to your stance. I want you to follow me in this subject this morning, the mystery of his method. Everybody is rooted in one thing or the other. And people generally root where they feel helps them to stand and find stability and staying power in their lives. They root in what they believe will help them to still stand in spite of pending storms uh, and blindside trials that have already wiped several out. Be sure of this, that life will present you its vacillating vicissitudes here and there and every now and again and show you troubling times uh, in the midst of of your span of life. But you must remember that it is not what happens to you that matters, it's how you see what happens to you. This is critical. In James chapter one and verse two, James writes, and I quote, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations knowing, not hoping, not believing, but knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces character, patience, resilience. And he says, so that patience will have its perfect work whilst your outward man and your emotions are suffering, you're, you're building temerity, you're building resilience, you're developing staying power. And whilst suffering has its test, remember that the weight of glory also has its test. My personal belief is that the weight of glory is more trying, and more testing, and more difficult to bear than the plight of your season of suffering. And so a foundation that is where you root yourself is that upon which somebody stands and is rooted, grounded. What are you grounded in? Where have you built your life? What terra firma are you standing on? And where things go awry, inconsistent with, with the scriptures and the promises thereof, it is normally an indication that there's a fundamental flaw in the foundation. The uninitiated will root and ground themselves in all kinds of things. And I'll list about six for you. One of the things they will ground themselves in is false deities. Gods that are not gods. Deities that have no divinity, but are merely created beings, mostly of the angelic or, or nephilic type, uh, that pose as gods and have their counterpart surrogates in human form. 
time because to whoever mankind who is the one in dominion here on earth yields his government to in the heavens, those will have power through him. And remember that the God of this world is not Jehovah. He is the prince in the power of the air, the prince of wickedness, the split hoof devil, if you can call him that. The second thing that people root themselves in is money. Now money is not a bad thing and I advocate that you should have lots of it. Uh, but only when you understand its proper usefulness and understand that it makes a great steward but never a great master. Because your God who owns all the wealth in the world and money is just man's attempt to measure money and measure your productivity. Money answers all things. That means if it is a thing, money can answer it. But there are some things that are not material like pain that has no medical diagnosis or issues in your life that money cannot fix. You will need more than money to fix it. So you cannot root your life in money. Money is fruit, it is not roots. Don't root yourself in money. Others root themselves in titles. Whereas, let me caution you that God never said, I will make your title great. He promised in the Abrahamic covenant, which is tied to the gospel, that I will make you great. And I will make your name great. That's what he said. So, when you abrogate a title yourself, it doesn't make you great. It's meant to just describe your function. And what God does is he can take a name like Graham and make that name great. He can take a name like Jakes and make that name great. The people born to that name or just associated with that name have associated greatness. <laughs> Hallelujah. But even if you have a great name, don't root yourself in a great name. A great name is fruit. It's not root. And so, it used to be that you never got titles awarded to you if you didn't merit them. Titles are not a bad thing. They give a sense of your purpose and your function. Um, and they should be meritorious. And I think they are a good thing. But to root yourself in a title is a misnomer. Others root themselves in fraternities, sororities, cliques, clubs, uh, circles. And once they can belong, they feel that they are stable and that they will stand. But God is in the season where he's going to wipe out every gathering that was not appointed by him and diminish their power until the mountain of the Lord's house, the one veritable gathering, is lifted high above all the other mountains and hills and the desire of the nations will be to come to that mountain. Hence Paul tells us we have come unto Mount Zion, means we left something. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to God the judgment, the spirits of judgment made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, the blood of sprinkle that speaks better things than the blood of Abel, and unto an innumerable company of servants called angels. So once people suddenly belong to a certain club or class of people, they feel they are rooted. God can wash it all away in a moment. He destroys establishments. He lifts one up. He brings another down. God, he wants to teach man that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And only that which is kingdom and thereby rooted in Christ, the king, will stand. 
where are you rooted? What are you rooted in? Others are rooted in their status. And status is not the same thing as stature. They're rooted in status and in its symbol. So they must have Salvatore Ferragamo. If they travel and don't buy Hermes, there's a problem. They don't own Bottega or Chanel. Or, or, or when they drive, drive a Bentley. Or Rolls Royce or a Mercedes or now even a Maybach. They don't feel like they are anything. Because their entire sense of worth and value is planted, rooted in the ownership of stuff. Look at five people and tell them you've got to root yourself in Christ. All these things are not the root, but they are the fruit. Don't root yourself in the fruit. Don't turn the tree upside down. And once it is not God who gave them the root, the fruit is most likely not to remain. And if it does, it's for God's purpose. He kept Pharaoh alive for a reason. So that he could show his power in destroying him. Some people never get to the rooting stage in life. Why? Because they don't know how to hear correctly. They're the kind of folk that when you start sharing Bible and word with them, after five minutes they get bored. They never linger long at the word, but they will linger long at wine. They never linger long in the company of believers, but they will linger long at the, you know, they become uncomfortable when you start breaking word, breaking word down. And he shows us four types of ground, wayside ground, stony place ground, and thorny ground. And the good ground amongst them is good ground. The wayside, he tells us what the fellow by the wayside is like. He, he, he's the one who hears the word. In other words, he's in church or he's tuned in online or she, and that's important too. And they do not understand what they hear because they're not standing under the word. They came to show off their face, their fragrance, and their female. They came with an ulterior motive other than to hear the word and so when they heard the word they didn't understand it they couldn't stand under its meaning and its value they just heard it and it went and what happens is that before they get to that door just outside of it or when they get to the parking lot the fowls of the air they come and they take the word before it can gain root to begin to produce shoot and fruit which one are you hallelujah the second party is similar this is the seed sown in stony places. He is the hearer who receives the word with joy. That, the kind of people who run around the church and they're so excited. You ask them, what did the pastor preach now? They can't remember. Because they were here to get excited. They weren't here to get informed for transformation. And he tells us the consequence. That when tribulation or persecution arise against such a person, they fall away from the word. Because they are offended. They are affected by the persecution. That's the second type of ground. Which one are you? Then there's thorny ground. That's why you have all these prickly things that have uh, thorns everywhere. And he calls the thorns, in his interpretation of the parable, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. 
When the Bible warns us in Paul's writ, be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And therefore the peace of God deals with the anxiety so that you can focus and hear word. And when you study, turn your phones off. Put them on silent outside the way. Shut your door and have your time with God. When you come to church, I have no problem with you dressing up. But after you've dressed up, you're dressing up for God. Face your front. Focus on what God has in store for you. Distractors come to church, but avoid the distraction. People who only want to worship. It's not a bad thing. But how will you know the value of the one you worship if you don't have word? If you don't have word, how will you know the value of the word himself? So if I want to know the value of Yemi, I must hear from him. I must hear what he speaks out of the abundance of his value, which is lodged in his heart. His mouth will speak. That will show me his worth. If I talk to him for a while, I'll get a sense of the value that he carries as it concerns wisdom. And if I don't know the value of somebody, I cannot worship them. How do you know the value of God if you, you don't pay attention to his word? To know what he is, what he has done, what he can do, what he's like, what his manner is, who he is towards you, what his commitment towards you is. If you just parrot a song, two people can sing the same song. And one person, no rain will fall. Another person, is a thunderstorm. Because one knows the shepherd. The other just knows the song. But good ground. He said, is the fellow who hears the word of God, understands it and bears fruit. Unlike the thorny ground, the deceitfulness of riches. That's his aim. That's really his God. The cares of this world as a result are his penchant. And he has no more focus left in his mental cavity for focusing on God. And so, when the word wants to bear fruit, it's choked out by the thorns. Jesus likened hearers who gain understanding and bear fruit to two men, one in particular, who both built great houses, great infrastructure. And evidently, the one who came up first had no root. He had no foundation. Um, and the one who came up last, whilst the other one was already at his roof line, the one who came up last was probably just getting to the base of his foundation. There had to be a substructure. And both men built. And when the storms, the rain, and the wind blew, and beat on the first house, the Bible says great was its fall. Because all of its capacity was over ground. But the other fellow, when he built, he built almost 50% of the entire structure underground first. It took us years to come out of the ground on this project. Hallelujah. That's how it works. And when the wind came, that's fierce tests. And the rain beat, that's the blessing of God. And the thunder and the lightning came. Uh, it said great was the fall of the one. But the other one, after everything had come and gone, it was still standing. Why did it have success in staying power? It was in its root. It was all about the foundation. Let's get down to the ground. What kind of ground are you? 
have the cares of I must be married, I must have this baby, I must do this, I must do that, I must have this, I must own that, I must have, or, or I must have God. I must know Christ. What's your root? Job 14, verse 7 to 9, he says, For there is hope for a tree if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch there will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water, the smell of water, it will bud, and it will bring forth branches like a brand new tree, like a fledgling, like a plantling, like a treeling. What is he saying? That he saw this mighty tree, and somehow it got cut down, and then it started to rot. And it looked like there was no hope for it, but he's gone and he comes back again. And because we're now in the rainy season and water's beginning to flow, at the smell of water, what looked like a hopeless tree that would never have life again, it started to bring forth fresh stalk, fresh stem, fresh branches, and green fauna that could photosynthesize and come back to life. So that you come back a few years later, a tree has reappeared where there was no tree anymore. Why? It was true that the tree died, but the tree's root was still very much alive. That means when you go down, Peter, your faith cannot go down. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Satan has requested you with desire to sift you like we to completely dislocate you, disconnect you, discombobulate you, but I have prayed for you that even though you fail, your faith, your root, the faith will not fail you. Hallelujah. I feel his presence. What are some of the benefits of a tree being properly rooted in its ground? Be aware that God likens us unto trees planted. Calls us the planting of the Lord. He likens us unto oak trees in the Bible also. Uh, he likens us also uh, in the book of Isaiah unto trees planted by the living God. One of the first things uh, that, that is a benefit accruing to you when you are properly grounded, rooted, you will have stability. You will stand secure. The wind may come and it may bend you. But after the wind is gone, your root is even stronger and you always recoil back to your stance. Hallelujah. That's one of the benefits of a tree being rooted. If you're going to root in anything, root in something that doesn't go out of fashion. How dare you root yourself in the Mercedes Benz when they go out of fashion after five years and they bring a new model? How dare you root yourself with money when it has wings like an eagle? How, root yourself, how dare you root yourself in a deity that is no deity? That is only a liar and a child of the father of lies. How dare you root yourself in a title? When titles can come and go and leave you empty and barren. Thereafter, root yourself in the one who is for, from everlasting to everlasting. The one who was not born, therefore he cannot die. The one who has no beginning, therefore he has no end. The one who, when David said, I looked for his beginning and his end, I could not find that, said, thou art from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, he will give you stay in power. He'll give you anchorage so that you can go into your trials and your troubles knowing I will come through this. This too will pass and I will not pass with it. Number two, 
the other thing that a root does for you is it, it gives you supplies. Your rootedness gives you supplies. Show me a man who's rooted in Christ. I'll show you a man who doesn't lack. David said it this way, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack. Third is storage. The root system is a storage system for bad weather, hard weather, dry times, and winter. So that whilst other trees may die, a tree that is properly rooted and has a root structure, it has storage in mind for two winters. So when everything else is drying up, you have resources. The fifth thing that a root gives you is insurance. The root gives you insurance that no matter how bad the badness gets in your life, you will still come back. As long as the root remains, and we know your root cannot die, he is Christ. We know your root cannot be wiped out, he cannot be obliterated, he is from everlasting to everlasting. Just because they killed his body on a tree does not mean that God died. And God has no mother. God has no mother. His origin and his conception, his origin and his birth are not the same thing. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he says, his goings forth have been of old, even from everlasting. In other words, he's been showing up a long time before he came into Mary's womb. As the pre-incarnate Christ. Ezekiel met him as a wheel within a wheel. Joshua met him as the captain of the Lord's host. Uh, Moses met him as a burning bush and a voice coming therewith. And so, he tells us, and we're stepping towards the mystery, that except a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and die, it remains singular and impotent. But once it can fall into the ground and die, that means its shell must be broken, then it releases its entrails as a DNA program to gather minerals, sustenance, uh, building blocks to form a tree where there was only a seed before. But it has to fall into the ground and die. This is one of Christ's witnesses saying to them that the plan for your redemption to my highest state is in my suffering. It's in my crushing. It's in my death that you will have redemption. If I'm going to acquit you from every, every penalty and punishment in the penal code, I, I will have to die first. His suffering is his secret weapon. Get this. His suffering is his secret weapon. When they took him to three different courtrooms in a five-mile walk on the day of his death, our master was in the course taken to the whipping post. A post about this high with the guards of honor, with the guards of Rome. And they jeered at him, they taunted him, they plucked out his beard. They would deliver hard uppercuts and blows to his face. And call him, in mockery, the king of the Jews. Yet he looked like a helpless pauper. Then they brought out the cat of nine tails. Long, I've spoken to you about it. And along its length, it has nine tails that are laced with bottles with broken bottles jagged edges stones nails and they would whip him with it and it would curl itself around him a few times and they would pull till he had lacerations across his entire being that revealed his bone and from the corpuscles there or the the the, the, the tissue there he was fountaining blood forward so he didn't look like a guy with a few drops dripping he was red blood from head to toe your master. In that process, he lost two liters of blood and instantly went into hypovolemic shock. But 
perspiration everywhere, pain that you cannot even begin to imagine just from the lacerations and he did it for you. By the way, when his disciples saw the son of David, who was David? He was a conquering king, a mighty warrior. You couldn't beat David. The boy was bold and courageous. And when you name somebody son of so-and-so, you're saying they have like personality, character, and competence. Because fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. And they could not in their theological construct reconcile a suffering lamb to the son of David. Though he had shown it to them in the scripture several times, and he had told them several times, knock this temple down, I will rebuild it in three days. No sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days, but he came back out. Gave them countless numbers of, of signs that I'm going to suffer. But they just did not believe it. Because I can tell you things, but if you don't have revelation of what I'm saying to you, you'll never get what I'm saying. Unless God chooses to reveal it. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. But he also tells us that the secret of the Lord is in those who revere him and to them he shows his covenant. So he told them all these things and they just did not believe it. Because God had not revealed it yet. It was hidden in God. In plain sight. But they could not get it until he was ready to reveal it. What was the revelation? That everything you're going to get from me in this covenant, you will get it because of my suffering. I'm going to suffer not only for your redemption, but as a pattern for how I deliver, especially those who I'm going to use mightily. Hallelujah. They carry him to the cross, nail six, seven inch stakes into the bone of his wrist. Piercing the median nerve till a fiery pain that you cannot imagine started to course through his body from two sides. He's already in hypovolemic shock. He's losing fluid. He's losing electrolytes. He's losing everything. And he's pinned in such a way that his ordeal is beyond our ability to describe. Lifted him up and hoisted that crossbeam on a vertical pillar and jacked it up till he's now carrying his whole weight on nails in two hands that's the only thing supporting him and a little bit of pressure that he'd have to brace back up with his feet and whilst he's doing that all those lacerations in his back are grazing against the front of that vertical member of the cross he's dying like a vilified criminal he scandalized like a villain, yet he's innocent. The 12 were shaken to their core, to their very foundation. But they wondered that, was Jesus Christ really who he said he was? Was he really the Messiah? After all this public ridicule, publicly vilified, publicly scandalized, publicly rejected and ostracized, publicly alienated, publicly criminalized and killed. And they are now all frightened, jobless, Uncertain about everything. Everything. Does anybody know what uncertainty is? That's what 2020 was about. To check your roots. Uh, and worse, worse still, the worst and the darkest weekend for them was that weekend. What do we do now? Their hope is gone. Their mentor is dead. Their light has turned into darkness. Their savior has perished. And they don't believe he will ever come back. They couldn't even bear to see him die the way he died. Our Messiah cannot die like that. He's stronger than that. That was their feeling. 
Because everything he said to them, they didn't get it. Because in their theological construct, the Messiah was the second coming, not the first coming. He came the first time as a lamb for sin, to bear sin, to bear sin's judgment under the law. And so they're struggling to reconcile in their minds this mental construct memory after memory of all the amazing things he had done how he walked on water how he fed 5,000 men not including women and children with five loaves and two fish how he put his hand in leprosy and lepers were healed how he spoke to 10 lepers and instantaneously leprosy ran from them how those sick with paralysis were brought back to a normal mobile life how people who were blind would suffer some embarrassment whilst he spit into clay or sand and mix it into clay and put it in their eyes and, and they would see. They remembered all of that and all the great things he taught and told them that you see me, you see the father. Is this the father dying like a dog? Is this the father like a lamb led to the slaughter, unable to open his mouth? Yet! Even though he had 100 trillion reasons and assets in heaven to remove him from this ordeal, he chose not to. Because for this purpose came the Son of Man to destroy the works of the devil. That the only way for me to give you redemption and the forgiveness of sin and buy you back into my estate of glory is to suffer. In other words, my weapon against your enemy is my, is my suffering. In other words, the aggression of your enemy who is my enemy is my weapon. What he thought that he would use to destroy you and me is exactly what I'm going to use to destroy him. My suffering at his hand is my weapon. That is the mystery. And it's not only the mystery in his life, it's the mystery in your life. There's some things you will never get until you fellowship with his suffering and that needs to be clearly understood I need to explain that and I hope I get to do it today Luke 24 and verse 15 to 31 it's a long read but I'll read it quickly and it came to pass that while these two disciples were communing together and reasoned Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were covered so they didn't know it was Christ and he said unto them, what kind of conversation are you having with one another that you walk and are so sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto Christ, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have just happened in these last three days? And he said, he said unto them, what things? When the master who has all knowledge asks you a question, he's not looking for knowledge, he's trying to give you knowledge. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, they knew not it was him. In other words, he was hidden from their understanding. Mystery. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed. They had no revelation of him as Messiah. They were still talking of him as a prophet. Mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. So they gave him esteem, but they did not give him correct esteem. And they said, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. They couldn't get it. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. The redemption they were speaking of was not spiritual, it was natural. You get it? And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. 
Yes, and certain women also our company, of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision. They didn't see a vision, they saw Christ. Uh, and that they saw a vision of angels which said that he was alive. It was not a vision. The angels came and appeared. And certain of them which went, went with us to Sabaka and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Next verse. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken from Genesis to Malachi. Ought not Christ to have suffered? It was not in their construct. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? They didn't get it. And beginning at Moses, all the way to Malachi, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, uh, Yemi, can I borrow you for a minute? So, these are the two disciples. Here's Christ. He's speaking to them from the scriptures about himself. He is there. They can see him in the scriptures, but they can't see him with them. That's the first revelation. They sh he showed them Christ in all of the Old Testament. And they keep walking. Give me more scripture. Put the scripture back. And they drew near unto the village where they were going, and he made as though he would go further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. In other words, they're showing hunger for the word himself. And they've shown hunger for the scriptures. You see the two things you need? Hunger for a personal encounter with Christ, who is revealed also in the scriptures. Without that, you're just a church goer singing songs. Even the devil comes to worship. So they constrain him saying, abide with us, for it is to, they wanted him to abide. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, watch for the second revelation. As he sat at the table with them, he took bread, that signature, blessed it, signature, broke it, customary signature and then he gave it to them look at what happened and their eyes were opened to know not only the one who they saw in the scriptures and the one who revealed the scriptures to them but to know him and once they got the revelation he vanished at that point they were rooted at that point they became rooted they got a revelation of Christ in the scriptures and they got a revelation of the Christ of the scriptures in their personal experience that's why when he went to the grave and on the third day he rose up the grave was empty and it was said of him he is risen he had risen above all the rumors and the gossip he had risen above everybody and everything that doubted him he had risen above the criminalization of his reputation he had risen above the vilification of his soul he had risen above the scandalization of his person he had risen above the powers of Rome above the powers and princes of darkness he had risen above the evil expectations of evil men he had risen above death hell and the grave he had risen above the Sanhedrin council and their heavy conspiracy he had risen above the Pharisees and the Sadducees he had risen above death hell and the grave he had swallowed up death and its sting he had chewed up the grave and its victory he has risen with all power and all authority in heaven in earth and in the region of darkness and yes it does get real dark and dreary 
weary for us sometimes in our own lives but the good news my friends is that the head is always connected to the body and even if the body is sick it is still the possession of the head and when he got up from the grave and was raised above principalities and powers far above ploys and conspiracies far above the vilification of his soul and the scandalization of his reputation he didn't rise alone the bible says in paul's letter to ephesians that he raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in christ far above all of these things that he is risen above that means my friend you are risen too you're risen above your enemies you're risen above your haters you're risen against your conspirators you're risen above all the wily devices of the enemy that's why what they said in isaiah doesn't apply to you you are above they can't find you to throw a dart they can't find you to get you only place they can throw a dart is at your humanity they cannot touch your deity am i preaching to somebody this sunday morning who am i talking to if that's you i want you to go and give four people a bluetooth and tell them i'm above only i live the above life i'm above all the scandalization i'm above all the wily hatred of men i'm above the gossips and the traitors i'm above the judases and the ahitophels i'm above all of that and in fact when you give me suffering you're only giving me opportunity because when you put me in a pit you're sending me to my palace when you enslave me with chains you're sending me to the vicinity of my destiny when you falsely accuse me like you did with Joseph you're only sending me closer to my palace facilitator because even though it looks down it's closer to my destiny than it ever was before because where you put me you thought it will obliterate me where you placed me you thought it would obscure me but when you sent me there you were sending me to the man who was my destiny helper who would connect me to the palace in the fullness of time I had to go through the pit I had to go through Potiphar's house I had to go through false accusation I had to be misunderstood and misrepresented why? so that I could develop patience resilience temerity character because for where God was taking me there was a weight of glory that an unbuilt man an unrooted man will not be able to carry who am I preaching to if you're the Joseph I'm talking about I want you to shout yes somebody if you're the David that's about to show I want you to shout hey I'm here I don't know who you are or where you're seated but I want to announce to somebody when they put you through suffering don't take it like that it's part of your process yes Christ died and suffered on your behalf so you wouldn't have to suffer but any suffering you suffer like Paul it is suffering for purpose that means it has a purpose to it <laughs> hallelujah glory to God I feel the power of God right now shout at somebody and tell them I'm risen above I'm risen above I declare resurrection power in your life this Sunday afternoon I declare resurrection glory in your life this Sunday afternoon I declare concerning you that the mystery of who you are will soon be revealed yeah. and when people see you going down <laughs> They're going to wonder, how come? How come? How come? What they don't know is that the innermost glory, not the glory of the outer court, that's stench. Not the glory of the inner court, that's natural human light created by mankind. But I'm talking about Shekinah glory. It can only get 
It can only, you can only get it when the veil is broken. And it's not that he's, he, he derives pain from breaking you. He's just trying to get to your alabaster oil. You have to let go of the outer court. You got to let go of it. You got to let it go. Stop living around sacrifice. The sacrifice has once and for all time been accepted. Daddy's colored coat doesn't fit where you're going. Because this next space is not for pampered boys. It's for broken vessels. And when they took the coat from you, they took it from you because you have outgrown it, David. You've outgrown it, Joseph. And he got a new coat in Potiphar's house. But when it was time for him to leave that coat, they had to take that coat from him too. Because he had outgrown being somebody's boy. And then they put him in a dungeon. And he got another coat and it didn't look like a nice coat. Now you have to be subject to another. You have to be slave almost to another. But whilst he was there, they made him head of the prison, wearing a prison coat. And he outgrew that one too. Something about Joseph was incredible. He had resurrection power without even tasting of the new covenant. Everywhere you put him, he would bounce back up. He entered the palace as a slave boy from the prison, but he rose immediately to the top. Why? Because God took time to build his roots through the things that he suffered, through what he went through. I don't really believe that Joseph suffered. I believe Joseph, like Paul, called it light afflictions. But when it was good time, Joseph rose all the way to the top, not just of Egypt that he entered into, the palace that was already at the top of Egypt. And you never hear that he came down again. He had the above life and it transcended his spiritual life, his solical life and his physical life. He was above only.